another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Halliburton Company and Chubb Bermuda Insurance Limited. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 48. And like all good cases, this starts with an explosion. Some of you may remember the Deepwater Horizon disaster from 2010, but as a quick refresher, Deepwater Horizon was the name of an oil rig off the coast of Louisiana. In April 2010, there was an explosion on the rig and a subsequent fire that killed 11 workers. It also led to a massive oil spill that could be seen from space. By most accounts, it is the largest accidental marine oil spill in the world and the greatest environmental disaster in US history. In the same way that the environmental impact lasted for many years and is still being felt today, so too does the litigation associated with the disaster. Here we are talking about the arbitration process under a liability insurance policy. The appellants in this case, Halliburton, provided cementing and well monitoring services to BP, who had themselves leased the oil rig from a company called Transocean. Meanwhile, the other party in this case, Chubb, are an insurance company and Halliburton had entered into something called a Bermuda Form Liability Policy with them. Before we go on, I'll quickly explain what this is. Basically, in the 1980s, the US courts were reading insurance policies a lot more widely than was expected, and so a number of new insurance companies were set up in Bermuda. These companies had their own standard form policies that became the norm over the years, and that is what was being used here. One of the features of these policies is also that disputes are resolved using arbitration, which is central to the present proceedings. I don't want to jump too far ahead though, so let's find out what the dispute was that meant arbitration was needed in the first place. As you can imagine, after the biggest environmental disaster in history, there was a lot of legal action brought against Transocean, BP and Halliburton for their involvement. A trial in the US led to judgement against the parties that apportioned blame and Halliburton eventually settled the claims that were brought against them. Following that settlement, they then sought to bring a claim under their liability policy from their insurance company, Chubb. However, Chubb refused to pay out because they argued that the settlement was far above what a reasonable settlement should be. This was the source of the arbitration dispute. When it comes to arbitration, each side decides on one member of the panel, and a third member who acts as a chairperson is normally chosen by both sides. Unfortunately, in this situation, the two sides could not agree on who that chairperson should be. The question went to the High Court where it was decided that a Mr Ken Rokerson QC, who was originally proposed by Chubb, should be appointed as the chairperson. That should have all been fine, but subsequently Rokerson was also appointed as a panellist in two subsequent arbitrations that arose from the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Firstly, as an appointment by Chubb in a dispute with Transocean, and secondly, as a joint nomination in a dispute between Transocean and a separate insurer. When Halliburton found out about this, they brought proceedings to remove Rokison under Section 24 of the Arbitration Act 1996, but that was refused by the High Court. On appeal to the Court of Appeal, it was found that while Rokison should have disclosed his proposed appointments in the other arbitration disputes, it was not enough for an objective observer to conclude that there was a real possibility that Rokison was biased. With their last throw of the dice, Halliburton appealed to the Supreme Court, 
which is where we pick things up. The justices began by noting that the principle of impartiality is a core feature of arbitration law, and so whether an arbitrator is appointed by the courts, or indeed by one of the parties to the dispute, that shouldn't detract from the requirement to be impartial. When a suspicion of bias arises, the correct test to apply is whether the fair-minded and informed observer would conclude there is a real possibility of bias. It is interesting because in this situation you, as the listener, are a fair-minded and informed observer at this point, so you could come to your own conclusion on the real possibility of bias. Another relevant duty is that of disclosure, which is part of the overall obligation to be fair and impartial. In particular, information must be disclosed that might reasonably give rise to justifiable doubts about an arbitrator's impartiality. There is an important caveat here though. The duty of disclosure can be overridden by another duty, that of privacy and confidentiality. Between these two duties there is an important distinction when it comes to timing. Whereas in cases of accusations of bias, our fair-minded and reasonable observer should have regard to the context at the time of the hearing to potentially remove the arbitrator. When it comes to disclosure, the relevant time to consider is when that duty to disclose first arose. Trying to bring all of this together in relation to the facts of this case, the Supreme Court did acknowledge that there may be times when the acceptance of multiple appointments involving a common party and subject matter will give rise to an appearance of bias, but this will be dependent on the circumstances of each case. Here the context is Bermuda form arbitration, and there might be a conclusion of a real possibility of bias. An arbitrator is under a legal duty to disclose such appointments unless the parties have agreed otherwise. This meant that Rokison was under a legal duty to disclose his appointment in the arbitration dispute between Chubb and Transocean, because the overlapping arbitrations involving a common party and identical subject matter would clearly give rise to a real possibility of bias. However, the five justices unanimously agreed that this failure to make a disclosure did not indicate a real possibility of bias for the fair-minded and reasonable observer. They offered up five reasons for this. Firstly, it was not clear at the time that Rokison did indeed have a legal duty of disclosure. Secondly, there was a gap of about two months between the Halliburton arbitration and the Transocean arbitration. Thirdly, Rokison himself explained to Halliburton that the other arbitration would likely be resolved on a preliminary issue, and if it were not, then he would offer his resignation from the Transocean arbitration. Fourthly, there is no evidence of any underhand or secret benefit being made to Rokison. And finally, there is no reason to infer that Rokison had any ill will towards Halliburton. As such, the Supreme Court dismissed the appeal, and Rokison can remain as the chairperson in the present dispute. Like I said earlier, this is the sort of case where you can draw your own conclusion as a reasonable and fair-minded observer yourself. Given all of the circumstances, was there a real possibility of bias here? The Supreme Court ended up giving us five reasons, um, but I'm not totally convinced by any of them, and it's probably worth taking a minute just to pick them apart a little bit. For a start, it is true that it was not clear if there was a legal duty of disclosure in these circumstances, but given that it was a grey area, would you not automatically lean towards disclosure? 
After all, these are similar proceedings about the same subject matter involving the exact same parties. It's like if you're doing your tax returns and you're not quite sure if something should be disclosed or not. You probably disclose it anyway because it beats not disclosing it and ending up in prison. Secondly, that two-month gap between the arbitrations does not feel like a long time in the context of this litigation. Remember, the Deepwater Horizon disaster happened in 2010, so all of this has really dragged out. Two months doesn't offer enough distance, and even if it was a longer time gap, it's not going to be enough to remove a real possibility of bias by itself. Thirdly, Rokerson's actions after Halliburton raised concerns are to be welcomed and certainly feed into the context to be considered, but remember by this point he had already failed to disclose his other appointment and so his actions were somewhat necessitated instead of emanating from his own free will. On the final points, it is true that there is no evidence of either a benefit received from Chubb or a feeling of ill will towards Halliburton, but that is not the legal question being asked here. We need to know if there is a real possibility of bias, not whether there is actual evidence of bias. Furthermore, it could reasonably be argued that the other appointments are a form of benefit, because Rokerson will be getting paid for his participation in those arbitration disputes, and while Chubb could have picked anyone from a list of potential arbitrators, they settled on the guy who they knew would be deciding the vote on the Halliburton dispute. I think this brings us nicely to the argument against Rokerson. For me, the question of bias should be a low threshold to overcome. Of course, we don't want judges and arbitrators being thrown off cases over any small thing, but the idea that justice is done and seen to be done is a cornerstone of the British legal system, and a major reason why huge international companies with an insurance policy from Bermuda involved in a dispute about an oil rig off the coast of Louisiana decide to settle their dispute in the UK rather than anywhere else in the world. I don't doubt the integrity of Rokerson, and I think he will do a brilliant and fair job, but the point is about the possibility of bias, and that possibility never seems too far away in the facts of this case. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bandsound.com who provide the theme music. If you want to help support the podcast and keep it ad-free, then check out the link in the podcast description to my newsletter. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!